It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Dr. Rob Kelly, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Thanks, man. Good to be here, man. Good to be here. Looking forward to this. Well, it's a miracle you're here. <laughs> Based on what I've come to know about you in the last few few days, Rob, my goodness. Daddy, daddy, please stop drinking. What do you think about when you hear those words? First of all, it takes me right back because that was the last thing my daughter said to me uh, before the homeless. Um, and then secondly, of course, the book that I never thought I would write. I'm not an author. My story doesn't seem any worse than anybody else's. But, you know, people kept saying, write a book, write a book. So over two or three years, I kept giving pieces and notes to my, to my wife and she kind of put it all together, you know, put all my stories. Cause I'd be driving down the road somewhere with a Laban and I'd see, I'd see a father with a child coming out of McDonald's on a Saturday. So you know that he's a weekend father, you know, and that would bring back a memory of me checking into McDonald's drunk out my face, driving there with the two kids. And it was, it, I just, I would say something and she'd jot it down. And that's how the book was, was done. I didn't actually sit down with a typewriter going, okay, I'm going to write a book. It just didn't happen like that. But I tell you something, anybody out there sticking around in a book, no matter how trivial you think your story is, forget about selling books. You're never going to get rich selling books. But let me tell you something right now. You will heal from writing your own story. Amen, amen, brother. And, I, and I've got to say, the Poms do it. The Kiwis and the Australians are really good at diminishing their own greatness. And tall poppy syndrome exists so that we are fearful at times at, at putting ourselves out there in our story. Your book is the best book on alcoholism I've, or addiction I've ever read. And, and I mean that for a number of ways. As someone who, anyone that knows my story, if you haven't heard of me before, I'm celebrating six years of sobriety and longer for drugs and gambling, um, maybe like seven years in total. And this book is like if leaving Las Vegas met train spotting they had a heroin baby and that baby grew up like it, it, it is it's not even a movie script it's a nightmare but it's got it's got a it's got an ending that that could make anyone recover from anything that that what you just said there it's last leaving las vegas and train spotting 
Wow, I have never heard that before. But how true is that? Because, you know, I see things today that happen and I'm disgusted by them. I'm disgusted when a father shouts at a child in public. I'm disgusted when they get into a fight and the children are there. But I've done all that. So I was obviously disassociating from that behavior and from that mind care because it was so it was so painful. And it's taken over 30 years to fully be myself today. And I've only been myself for the last nine months after all of that because the gateway drug is trauma. Unless we get rid of the trauma, then I'm always going to be haunted with new memories. And, you know, that that's just the way. And, and here's what a lot of people don't know is uh, some five years ago, uh, I kind of had a breakdown with the trauma and, and they actually sent me away to uh, to uh, Arizona with a great place there called the Meadows that uh, specialize in trauma. And I stayed six weeks there to sort my stuff out because I was sober. I had a million dollar business then, multi-million dollar business. I had a Porsche 911, had a beautiful house, two English bulldogs, and I wanted to put a gun in my head, which I guess I had to shoot myself because of the trauma that finally caught up. So if you don't sort your trauma out, it will sort you out. That's what I've learned now. So then I delved into trauma. You know, this is what I've learned over the years, Laban, and you may agree or may not. that al- alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism and the same with drugs. You know, it, it's not the problem. The problem is the trauma. The end result is, because when I, when I relapse, okay, or when anybody relapses, the relapse is not picking up the drink. The relapse is a day, a week, a month before when you're pissed off with somebody or you argue with the boss or you argue with the wife. Or whatever. That's the relapse because of the trauma. And if we can catch the relapse there, then you're not going to pick up a drink or drug because at the end of the day, what the hell has alcohol got to do with anything? That's not the problem. In fact, it was my solution for a long time, a long time. So we have to really put it in perspective with the trauma and the neuroscience is what I study in neuroplasticity, uh, you know, reshaping, reforming the brain. And I'm a big believer in this. <clears throat> every neural pathway, which is a thought pattern, every, and there are billions, every neural pathway for health, for wealth, for success, for family, for everything you need to be the happiest person, the, the most constructive person, that living your life is already built inside your head. The only problem being is you need to connect it with new thought patterns going in. And that's what I specialize in. And the, and the thing that stops that is the trauma. And once we sort out the trauma, they will connect. I have a great video live uh, from Neuropathways Connecting that says it all. What are these doing? And this is going towards, it's a thought pattern for success. And all of a sudden click and that's when everything comes into fruition and you start to succeed. So for people that don't know, uh, Dr. Rob is known as the Tiger Woods of addiction recovery. And the Gordon, I, someone, I saw the Gordon Ramsay of addiction recovery as well. And I think that pertains to the language that you might use to, to scare straight some of these people. Uh, but it, it, if, in addition to that, and I'm, I'm still trying to work out how you found the time to do all this stuff. Would you just kindly run us through all of the amazing careers and the achievements that you've got? I'd, I'd love for you to toot your own trumpet for it, which I know is tough for an Englishman. Yeah, so first of all, I was a, an established musician at the age of nine. I was on stage playing with my, with my uncle and auntie, so we did that. Then I was a session musician at uh, Strawberry Studios, which is playing bass for uh, 
commercials on TV, you know, when you had to really play the influence. Then I went on to Abbey Road and played with Elton John, Queen, David Bowie. I also went to Oxford. My, my money put me through because I grew up in a poor family. We couldn't afford anything. And then I mixed with the stars. And then, you know, I've done lots of other things. I've, I've done really important pieces for McLean Hospital, which is Harvard's Psychiatric University. I've also done lots of writings for all over the world. I've starred on TV. My TV show used to go out to 18 million. I mean, I'm just I'm just out there helping people. I've worked with over 7,000 people in the industry, getting them well. And I, I have a passion for this. This is this. Oh, this is for every father and every mother and every child that's going through the stuff I had to go through. This, we don't run a business, man. What we run is a family reconstruction business. We don't run an addiction business. You know, this is about putting families together. And I have never seen my youngest daughter for 30 years, since one years old, the, the authorities and the police took him off me because daddy decided to have him for the weekend, but was drunk for two or three days and the children didn't get fed or changed nappies or diapers for two days and I nearly killed them. This is for people like that. It's like, when I was on the streets, homeless for 14 months, I swore to God, because I didn't believe in God, and I swore to myself, but if I ever got off the streets, and only 2% got off the streets in Manchester United Kingdom, the rest died on the streets. So I was one of the 2% that got off the streets. I would spend the rest of my life helping people, helping alcoholics and addicts, helping people with trauma, and putting families back together again. And I've done that aggressively for, for over 30 years now. I'm going to jump straight into this one, Robert. This is something that it's super important to me. What are your thoughts on the importance of self-forgiveness in this journey? It's huge. I mean, listen, you might want to be an alcoholic up for getting drunk, making a fool of himself. You might want to scorn him for not turning up at the wedding at the right time. You don't have to do that. We beat ourselves up like no other human being can. And forgiveness is part of healing, which is part of trauma, which is part of full-time being a recovered alcoholic and addict. Um, and that's the deal, you know. We have to be kind to ourselves, but we always have to be hard on ourselves. There's a great line from a book out there from a 12-step meeting, and it says we must always be hard on ourselves but considerate of others. So, yeah, it took me a long time, Maven, and I mean, you know, 28 years to finally forgive myself and clear up the trauma and 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 then lead a, a, a really nice life. I mean, I have everything I want. I have everything I need. I live in a million-dollar house. I drive a car that's $200,000. I wear Rolexes. That's not what's keeping me happy. What's keeping me happy is my eldest daughter two years ago got in contact with me on Messenger, and we sent her back to school. And as of 12 months ago, she opened my Manchester office in the UK as my lead therapist. That makes me happy. Getting in the morning, kissing my wife, that makes me happy. Playing with my three English Bulldogs, that's what makes me happy. Now, don't get me wrong, when you've got money in the bank like I have, and you don't have a lot of financial problems, which is a little bit of a burden, I always say, take me out of where I am now, put me in a tent with my three English Bulldogs, two cats and my wife, and I'm a happy guy. Because I'm happy today. I'm happy not because I'm successful, but because I've forgiven myself and made my amends to everybody that I hurt. My... My addiction, my alcoholism, not so much addiction with me, my alcoholism illness infected every single person that I met. 
And for that, I had to forgive not only myself, but I had to make my amends to other people. You suffered immeasurably, in my opinion, as a child. And, and I got angry at times reading your book, Rob, uh, about the way that how stoic and disconnected emotionally you certainly your father was. And the this um, keeping up with the Joneses mentality that must have been rife through through the Western world, but particularly the UK post sort of World, World War II, right? And and I reckon I've shared more emotions in five minutes than maybe what your father had an opportunity the entire time he was alive. Is he still around? Is he still still alive? He died uh, four months ago. My mum passed away a few years ago. I didn't make it to the funeral because I've been in the US about 15 years and, and I just didn't make it. They told me too late. But my father, who um, who never really said, had a boy, never said good job. But he'd tell other people, he'd tell his friends. I remember going to work one day with him and his friends are going, oh, here's the golden boy. And I'd be looking around going, who? They go, you. What do you mean? Oh, you won the 1979 uh, 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 bodybuilding comments, probably the 1980 Northwest. Then you did the England in 1980. And I'm like, what? How do you know this? Your dad is always bright, but he never said it to me. And I don't blame parents for this. I blame there's no handbook with bringing children after a Second World War. You know, it's hand to mouth and paycheck to paycheck if we're lucky in those days. But towards the end, uh, I did get to hug him. I did, I did get to sit down with him before he passed away of sound mind. And it was awkward, but I had to do it. And I sat down and I said to him, Dad, I'm sorry for everything I put you through. And his response was, oh, son, it's okay. I said, Dad, it's not okay. I know mom died with cancer way before the time because the physicians told me as a doctor that you put him on through a hell and the cancer spread rapid because of that. And I want to I want to apologize to you. And we hugged it out for the first time in our lives, Laban, right there and then. I came back home and a month later he uh, he had uh, a stroke and he never recognized anybody again ever until he died a year later. So it's like God sent me there to do this and I come away. I mean, and she and he met Janet, and uh, he said he said to my my sister that I'm I'm so proud of Rob. Well, he calls him Robert. So proud of Robert. I'm so proud of what he's done. You know, he uh, he, he made us all think he was going to die, but in the end, he made something of himself. And even hearing that third party was better than not hearing it at all. So when somebody says to me from their heart that your book was amazing that the emotions I get reading the book, if someone offered me $10 million right now, but discard, get rid of discard them words that you've just said to me, I'm going to take your words every time. Because it hits me in the heart. Because we never know how good we are. Nobody tells us. Nobody tells us anymore. People don't say, oh, you're amazing, Laban. Oh, Dr. Rob, you're amazing. Nobody says that. You think we already know. We don't know. Nobody knows. You know, I mean, I was passing the work a couple of years ago and one nurse said to the other, a new nurse had joined us, did you see what Dr. Kelly just said? It's freaking amazing. This guy come in, he was suicidal. He told me he wanted to die. An hour later, he walks back out again. He's skipping and whistling and waving to us. Dr. Kelly's amazing. And the other nurse, because she's good on trauma, said, I know, I know. Have you told him that? Oh, no. Oh, 
I mean, he already knows. We don't know. For them people listening, we don't know. Oh, watch your ego, Rob. Listen, idiot. My ego went when they took my kids off me. When you're walking with God, you're a recovered alcoholic or addict, and you're doing the right thing and working with his kids every day, there's no such thing as ego. So don't even do that. This is 30 odd years walking with God and giving me confidence. But it's really important that uh, we give ourselves a break now and again. So, oh, Rob, I'm so glad that you're able to say this. I, this is something I'm experiencing uh, a little bit of my own life, but certainly as I'm as my my profile is growing and I'm getting in contact with with more and more people that are on the surface of it, you know, the most successful people on the planet, and they need help just like the rest of us. And and me going into these interactions with this, what value can I add this person's life? has created so many wonderful connections and relationships because no one asks these people what they need help with because they automatically assume that they've oh, they've got everything. Yeah. They've got everything. Yeah, and nobody asks. You know, I've got the well, – I can mention three names right now in the last three months that contact me. Everybody knows in the household names. I went to watch them or I went to, you know, see them talk and then I get a phone call off them and said, Dr. Rob, I need help. The, these are the guys that are earning hundreds of millions of dollars and they're still lost. Because when's the last time somebody came up to Laban out in the streets and go, hey, Laban, how are you doing? So uh, how are you feeling today? Is everything good? Talk to me about some of the... Nobody says that to us. Because you think we're already having made. We think that money is success, that high profile is success. It's not for me. Yeah, I do that for one reason. When I came over to America, I asked God, put me in front of an audience. That's the why the TV, the radio, the podcast, the book... And, is to put me in, into an audience. You know, right now, if I die tomorrow, I'm going to die a happy man because my daughter loves me. We speak every day. I'm, I'm working with over 7,000 people. I've, I've, I've affected over millions and millions of people with the, with, the, with the ripple effect. I die a happy man, but there's still more work to do. I know that I should have died on like 20 occasions, Laban. And, and two over here. I, I went to a hospital for a, for a neck thing, uh, and uh, they killed me. They overdosed me on the pain meds, and I was dead on the table. Only a nurse passing on a coffee break saw me, and they brought me back to life. I mean, there's so many stories like that that I know I'm meant to be here for a reason. I'll be 61 in two, two weeks' time. I'm in the prime of my life, both physically and mentally. It's like I'm, it's like I'm 25. It's like it's, people go, you're 61. I go, yeah, right? They go, you don't dress like a 61. I know, right? You don't sound like you've got it right. It's like if you truly believe and you're on a mission and your higher power, whatever that is, universe, light, whatever that is, has got a plan for you, then you have a purpose in your life, a purpose. Robert, I, you've got another daughter that you mentioned that, that you've had no contact with since she was one. Has, have you had any insight? And this might be too personal a question. Don't have to answer if you don't want to. Have you, do you have any insight from secondhand information about where she's at with her dad uh she doesn't have a dad uh dad walked out on her yeah which is not the case i got thrown out of the house and then became homeless um but apart from that no nothing she's doing well she works she's a head of a restaurant in manchester england she has a boyfriend she lives with she seems to be doing pretty good um so yeah she just refuses to to have a dad to the extent uh, because mother has told her about me, and rightly so. I'll never call mom, never, never, never call her. I've had anything bad to say about her, but um, she's she's kind of painted this picture that I was 
and rightly so. So my, my eldest daughter, Charlie, Charlotte, uh, cannot speak of me in the house where mum is or to, my, to, my, to her sister because they will disown her. Wow, okay. There's a lot of, um, just observationally, there's a lot of uh, resentment there that, that's only going to cause issues to them. And, and, I, and I pray that, that that resolves itself in time, and I'm sure it will, Rob. I think, <clears throat> how, how old is she, by the way? Uh, she's uh, 32, I think. And my other daughter's 33. So, well, if it's any consolation, the relationship I had with my mother for the majority of my adult life, well, from 14, when I went together with my father, was uh, we would speak once a year, maybe once every 18 months. And at one point, I didn't see her for a year and a half. She lived 500 metres down the road. Wow. And rather than trying to, like, because she suffered, <clears throat> excuse me, she suffered immeasurably growing up. She was a daughter of an alcoholic, a horribly abusive alcoholic father who only started drinking after he came back from the war, like when he was 30, incidentally. And the whole family is completely dysfunctional. And it's no shock. But what's happened, Rob, because I've taken back control, <clears throat> and I'm leading by example as best I can, she's now come back into my life and I'm like, she's so proud of me. She tells me all the time, she, you know, wished me a happy birthday, jump on FaceTime, and I've reconnected with my mum at 40. I'm 42 today. And, you know, it's still not the happy, you know, it's not like the the dreamland, but it's yeah. it's a functional relationship that I've got with my mother and if she was to pass away tomorrow, then there'd be no regret so i there is hope that's <laughs> what i'm trying yeah. to say there always, is hope. always hope that one day she'll get in touch i don't know when i don't know how i don't know why but one day she'll get in touch because i've not been put all through that through all this and i've been through for, for not contacting me because it's very important that you even if you're estranged from mom or dad for whatever reason it's it's your own journey regarding the trauma and, and going forward unless you contact unless there's been a real of evil um, unless you contact them and, and make connections again so always going to be that missing link and I'll tell you something now is if you don't do that that it will affect your relationships if you're a girl it will affect your relationship with a man and the effect here you will not be able to put them together you know you won't be able to put the cause and effect together because it will seem so strange so strange i tell a little story I have a 73 pair of sneakers later Shoes and I have 73, and I'll tell you why I do this. I didn't realize this. So, six years ago, I went away to the meadows and I told the counselor there, brief cam uh, sorry, trauma counselor, uh, she asked me a question. She said, Hey, what was your school like? You know, the walk to school. I said, Well, I used to, in the, in the wintertime, I'd, my shoes had holes in because we could only afford shoes like four times a year. So, my mum used to cut like a little, she traced the shoe and cut cardboard and she put it in my shoe and then I'd wear socks and I'd walk to school. But by the time I got to school, uh, the snow had gone under the, you know, the sock and my, my foot was bare in the snow and it was freezing. So I had holes in my shoes, holes in my socks. And I said I was a little embarrassed and I would never kind of lie down or put my feet up so people could see the holes. And then she said to me, how was your mum and dad? Did they go out and enjoy themselves? I said, well, they went out every Friday and Saturday and Sunday night to the pub, to the bar. And she looked me straight in the eye, Laban. And she said, does mum and dad go to the bar with holes in there, shoes and socks? Wow. That 
just broke me. And I realized it was child abuse. Anything less than nurturing as a child is child abuse when it hovers around, especially alcohol and drugs. So I didn't know, but the reason I have 73, 74, I don't know how many pair of sneakers is because of that trauma. Now, if I wasn't told that, I'd never realize why I have to carry so many sneakers. And that's the thing I'm talking about with parents and the past and trauma is what's happening now in your life, whether you're trying to be for success, whether you're trying to be in the relationship you're having that are never working, it always goes back to learned behavior. It always goes back to caregivers around you. You know, women, when they come to me, nine out of 10 times, you go, Dr. I don't understand why I keep attracting the same man as an alcoholic and ends up in violence. What was your dad like? Oh, it's like mm. we get this learned behavior that's very hard. We did a, a test once, and it's been done thousands of times, but we got a mason jar, we got a big jam jar thing, and we put a 1,000 fleas in. We actually bought fleas from a farm, and we released them, and we put the cap on straight away, and we left it there for three days. When we took the cap off this big mason jar, and fleas can jump three, four, 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 the fleas never jumped higher than where the cap was. I thought that was interesting. It wasn't as interesting as what I'm about to say. When they had babies, the babies wouldn't jump higher to where the cat was. There's no cat there, but they won't jump higher because it's learned behavior. And that's what we go through as, as uh, teenagers and adults is we carry that learned behavior. And unless it's addressed, you're never going to jump out of, that, out of that mason jar. You're always going to be stuck in that same place. You'll have no idea why. This is what I'm talking about, trauma. It's like, oh, trauma only it's a plane crash for a paranoid bereavement. No. Guys, it goes way deeper than that. How many times have I told you, Robbie, you can't go to college like your brother? You're too stupid. Oh, man. That killed me for years and years and years. You know, these things we hear all the time. It's just, we plant them in the head. So you can do a thousand things right. Here's a prime example. I'm speaking in California. They fly me over there to speak at this meeting. There's a thousand people there. They click them in with a, with a fire hazard. I know there's a thousand there. At the end of the meeting, there's a standing ovation, but I was told at least two hours after I'd have to shake hands and chat to all of them. Labor 999 said I was amazing, and one person says I was too aggressive and too angry and that he didn't enjoy it. Have a guess who I concentrated on and <laughs> nearly relapsed on for the next three months. That's how the human brain works. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> this is drawing a lot of parallels with my own life as well. Holy God. Uh, <laughs> and th How recent was this, incidentally? It was about uh, eight years ago. My years God. Ago, like <laughs> so so there's, two, there's two things I want, I want you to talk about, Rob. Um, there was an incident with an alarm clock that you bought your father that was a really powerful moment in the book. And then there was the incident with the, the uh, trusted childhood um, adult when you were about getting singular in a choir that resulted in some abuse and the result of what your parents, how they responded. Would you share those two things with us? So my dad, uh, his birthday was coming up and I'd saved my spending when you get spends every week. I don't know how much it was, 30 pence or something. And I'd saved up to buy this alarm clock. I didn't know that my dad never used an alarm clock. He always woke up on time. But I bought this huge, crazy pink alarm clock with two big bells on top of it. It would have woke the whole street if it would have been if it would have turned on. But I was waiting for my dad to come home. He'd been at a football match watching Manchester City. 
And uh, he came home and I grabbed his clock and I, I ran. I said, I've got you a present, I've got you a present. And uh, he said, oh, oh, uh, okay, all right. Uh, and he put it on the side and then he went to get his dinner. Well, that taught me a lot of things psychologically. You know, it, it, I was put down, I was left abandoned. I, I was taught that giving presents wasn't good and that it didn't really please my dad. So everything I did didn't please him. So, so that was one of them. And the other was uh, my choir master was molesting me at school. Not much, you know, just a little touch here and there in the pro in appropriate place. But he told my mom that there was, and I was supposed to be pretty good at singing. He told my mom uh, that he wanted me to um, audition for the Vienna Boys Choir, which is a big, 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 big deal. Everyone knows the Vienna Boys Choir. So we went away 35 miles to a place called Chester in Cheshire. And I remember booking into a hotel. Then I was blurred for several hours. And then I, I pretended I was sick and, and they had to take me on the same day. When I got home, my mom scolded me for not staying there overnight and, and going for this audition. So that told that when I went back, that other people were more important than I was. And that was never to, to talk about that ever again. So many years later, uh, I checked if there were auditions for the Vienna Boys Choir during that weekend that we supposed to sit away. And apparently they were in Paris that weekend. So there was no Vienna Boys Choir. But I got scolded for that and never brought it up again, um, which my family's very good at. Sweep it under the carpet and it'll be okay. So th this this really agitated me, Rob, because I read this. And so, and, and you, what age were you at this at this point? Eight or nine. Eight or nine. So eight or nine, you get fondled up and molested by this guy, and there's no there's no point for diminishing any of what went on. It's in a grossly inappropriate. You talk to mum and dad about it, they diminish it, and then they put you back in harm's way with this motherfucker. And yeah. and to me, there's so much diminishment going on in your youth and i can totally understand why you went off the rails why is why is being diminished so destructive well it's it's uh, belittling it, it, it retrains the learned behavior of the mind that we're not really worth it and to be quiet no matter what happened that there was in my teens uh i was just uh, about to go to college and there's a guy across the road called hal h-a-l and i used to go to the sauna with him and he did the same He'd try and touch him up in the sauna, but he'd say, oh, I'm only joking, we're only joking, you know, and he'd talk about women, but he'd still, you know, go in the sauna naked and stuff like that. And many years on later, <laughs> and my mom, my mom was, like, encouraging this. Oh, he'd go to the sauna tonight with Hal. And many years later, in my 20s or 30s, I said to him, you know Hal used to, you know he's gay? And, oh, yeah, we knew that, yeah. And I went, you, you knew that, and you gave me money to go to the sauna with him? Yeah, it's just how. Oh, my God. I suffered for many years with that. Many, many years, you know, um, because of the, the, uh, the mental abuse and the abandonment. And this is where the abandonment comes from. You know, I can be in a, in, in a we had a works uh, do once and there was like 200 people there in this dance room and I felt the loneliest person in the world because that's what it does. It sends it into isolation. Now, we did our test on isolation, and we have a famous prison over here that kills people if you do something wrong. Um, and we did a, we did, we're allowed to do like a five-hour brief uh, 
uh, interview with some of the some of the prisoners and, and uh, some of the guards and some of the medical staff, and we found out that probably I don't know eighty something percent of people on death row by the time they got to the chair on the needle were insane, because isolation is the worst thing for another human being. Um, in fact, there's a room somewhere in Germany. Uh, Germany it's called the quietest room in the world. And it's so quiet when you go in there, you can hear your own pulse. You can hear the blood going through your veins. No one's lasted more than three minutes in there before they start seeing things and screaming to come out again. So it sends us into isolation. It sends us into that, whatever I say I do, I'm not going to be believed and maybe I should just get on with it. To Because to, we all want our parents to be happy. We want to please our parents, you know? I, uh, I, 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 it took a long time. But way before I started to know about alcoholism, and I don't know why, Laban, but I sent that headmaster, choir master, a letter, and I forgave him. So I, I can talk freely about that today and go, hey, I've dealt with it. I dealt with it more going back to the meadows, but, yeah, it, it, it did a lot of damage with, with me and my family, and I hated my mom for years and years over that, and that's where the estrangement come from, is I never spoke to my mom for a good 12 years after that. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> one of the uh, one of the things that blew my mind when I got to, to learn about you through you uh, being interviewed on my darling wife's world's best trauma recovery podcast was that uh, I went to I got invited to a crossroads uh, presentation when I was in Arizona uh, earlier this year, and I was uh, uh, completely bamboozled by the the very low success rate, which was about 2 or 3% recovery rate from rape rate. And then when I was talking to you, yours has got a, like a 2 to 3% failure rate. So you're talking about yeah. 97, 98% success rate. Talk me through that. Everybody concentrates on the alcohol. What are the treatment centers now? They're a business. They have to make money. Um, I had my house foreclosed on when I was over here because I couldn't afford to pay the mortgage because I was helping people for free of charge. So you look at the business model there, and it's good if they can get back two or three times, charging little Johnny thirty thousand dollars every time he returns. I knew it was broken. I knew that. I knew the the model was broken. So I've heard this in treatment. You know, there's twenty people in this room this time next year. Nineteen of you would have relapsed. Hmm. That's telling me to relapse, okay? And uh, you'll never recover from this stuff. And you'll always be broken. And all this shit. I'm going to teach you about relapse prevention. What the fuck is that? I don't even know what that is. Why are you telling somebody you're going to prevent them against relapse? Relapse is not the problem. Alcohol is not the problem. So they're all concentrating in this world, just going to stay sober one day at a time. It's like, that's not, that, that's hell on earth, staying sober one day. What the fuck is that about? I mean, what about staying sober for the rest of your life, staying sober for the next week, staying sober? It doesn't make any difference. You know, stop, stop telling people that this is a problem. This could be the best thing you've ever done, you know? I know lots of people who, who run the best companies in the world that have alcoholism in the family, but I've never touched alcohol. They're the guys running huge multi-billion dollar companies. You know, stop looking at this as an affliction. It's a fucking superpower. That's what it is. You go on to do some amazing things. So, you know, they, I mean, if you look at what treatment center, and, I, and by the way, disclaimer, there are a bunch of treatment centers that we work with that are amazing, but they're only about 3%. Uh, the rest uh, just have a terrible success rate. But when you, when you when you look at the hours that you spend with a doctor, it's probably two hours a week if you're lucky. And the actual work you're doing, because there's a lot of downtime that they give you, is probably about two or three hours a day. So that's three and a half hours a day. The rest is spent hanging around doing nothing. You know, um, what, what are you actually doing, guys? 
So we came up with this method that it's uh, it's psychological, it's trauma, brain spotting, psychology. Uh, I have a neuroscience, um, bra bra um, brain spotting, NLP, all that stuff to treat the problem because the problem is an alcohol. And then, and then be passionate about this. It's a daily basis. We do an hour a day by telehealth every single day for 90 days. You have to recover in your own environment. Don't care who wants to argue with that. It's true. We've proven it time and time again. So people are going, it can't be true. It can't be true. So then what we did is we shocked the alcoholism and addiction world. And we said, if you are not where you want to be, and, it, and if you are not sober for the rest of your life, while continuing to follow our program, we are the only company in the world that will refund your money in full if you relapse. Nobody, well, come on, guys. If, you, if your program is that good, put your money where your mouth is. Oh, oh, we can't do it. Why? Oh, he wasn't ready. Bullshit. You're teaching him bullshit. That's why he's not ready. I can get, I always say this. If, if you're struggling, give me five minutes of your time. I, it'll be the best pep talk you ever fucking have. And you'll, want, you'll be begging me to get into recovery because recovery is about living life on life's terms, living life every single day as if it was your last day on earth. It's not about the freaking alcohol. It's about the trauma. It's the gateway drug, but nobody wants to go there because they're running a business. All them people they're paying. All them buildings they're paying for. It's like we're the only company that do this. We guarantee that you'll recover. We have an assessment at the beginning, and you need to pass that assessment. We're not taking everybody on. Oh, there's another 40 grand a month. Come on, this is... No! I'm the guy, if everybody remembers, at Dallas, at Campisi's restaurant that turned Britney Spurs down for a million dollars. This was 14 years ago, 13, 40 years ago. We said no, because she turned up late, she was drunk, and her dad was begging me, and he wrote me a check for a million dollars, said, Dr. Kelly, please don't leave. I said, I've got to leave, and his bodyguard stood up, and I said, sit the fuck down before I put you down. I can't work with her, and I refuse to work with her. Two days later, she's in the newspaper shaving her head off and acting crazy. That's why we have a 97% success rate. You, have, you can't buy our services. You have to earn them. You have to be ready to take this plunge into a new life, and, and you need to be ready to be reborn again. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue with that, Rob. <clears throat> No, Put your money it's, passion. it's passion. All my guys are recovered alcoholics and addicts. All my guys, including my daughter, she is a, a survivor of, of the trauma and abuse, and she works with the children because we won't take a patient on unless the wife comes on board, if they're in the same house. We won't take anybody on unless anybody, anybody over 80, 18 years old comes onto the program. That's a must. Or the wife doesn't want to come at the door. No, well, I'm sorry. We would rebuild families. We don't get people well. We really well is is just part of the course. Chris is going to get well. Well's the day one. Your alcohol will be gone after day one of speaking with me. Let's rebuild family. So all my guys have gone through it. All my guys have been there and done it. Uh, and all my guys are highly educated. We we have a we were on a coaching business, you know, because we cross over state lines and I can't act as a psychologist. So my my psychotherapist can't practice anywhere else. So we, but all of my guys are masters and above. You know, PhDs, uh, uh, masters. We don't take any bachelors on. God bless you. Uh, you need life experience if you're going to come out as a bachelor's. Uh, but we're, we're very. Most of our staff have been handpicked by me, and the reason why they call me the Gordon Ramsay of the addiction world is I don't fucking suffer fools, and I will curse you out, and I will tell you to get the fuck out of my office. 
because this is life or death and my staff have to be the best in the world. People are getting paid like 20 or 30, 40, 40 dollars an hour. My staff get paid $150 an hour. That's how good they are because, you know, who's, who's my target audience? My staff. Oh, not, you, not, not the clients. Not the, no, why are they my target audience? I have staff that have thrive and energy and passion for what we do. And if you don't and we find out, I'm going to fire you on the spot because this isn't a fucking job. This is about getting an hourly rate trying to help. This is about can you get somebody to a place where they're living life as, as amazing as they can? Can you re families? If the answer is yes to both, then you can have an interview to join this company. Then we'll decide the rest. So it's a passion. We only take on between four and six patients at any one time for every 90 days because you have us all 24 hours a day. If I need to jump on a plane and come to you in Florida, I will be there in, in four hours. I'll be with you. And this is what people pay for. It's like we get people well. We're not in a money-making business here. Does money come in? Of course it does. I can't help it, you know? People pay for my time and pay for our staff's time. Uh, but uh, it's just, it's a great journey. Maybe it's a really a great journey. And I, I love, we love what we do because we do what we love is our catchphrase at work. It's hung, hung over the offices when you come into work. If you come into my workplace, especially in Dallas, with a frown on your face or your problems, you need to go home. And by the way, I'm not paying you. You know, you've got to come in here as if it was Monday morning. Monday morning's going to kick off the whole week and you're excited. If you're sat at home, guys, and you're counting hot days and you're counting TGIF, you're in the wrong job. Get a new job. If you're pissed off at home because the wife keeps moaning, get a new wife. Oh, Dr. Rob, it's not that easy. Yeah, it fucking really is. It really is. <laughs> Because what's going to happen in 40 years' time is you're going to be sat there with the same woman. You're both pissed off. You've both been miserable for 20, 30, 40 years, and you've done nothing about it. So don't even bother blaming anybody else apart from you. You've got to start making paths forward, steps forward to this life that's amazing. If you're not Sunday night going, oh, I can't wait to get you tomorrow morning, you're in the wrong job. You know? You get what? I went to bed last night, Laban. I was 19. I got up this morning, I was 61. How does that happen? Life is so fast and you only get one chance. Before you know what day it is, you'll be saying you're 61 as well. <laughs> well, I'm 42 today and I'm, I feel like I'm 19 and I, and, I, and I love what I do and I do what I well, love. Well, first of all, there's no way you look in your 40s. You're the most <laughs> handsome man I've seen. I mean, you've got the dress, you've got the, the face, you, you know, you've got the old shaped head. I mean, you look like a million dollars. So you feel like a million dollars. So then that hate, hate to hate to say numbers, they don't mean anything to us anymore. Amen, brother. Well, I'll graciously receive and accept that. <laughs> and one thing I would say about the, um, the, the relationships, getting out of a relationship, most of the most fucked up people I've ever met, Rob, are children of loveless marriages. Like it's the most destructive yeah. thing. So you're not only fucking your own life up, you're destroying the life of your kids. Your kids will, your kids will be fine. Some, some relationships should be exited. My mum and dad, they absolutely needed to divorce. And as terrifying as that was for me, it would have been way worse if they stayed together. They'd be dead. They'd be like, they'd be like OJ Simpson and his ex-wife and their husband. Yeah. I mean, there's been tests done on this. We've done a few tests of our own. That a child will grow up healthier with two separated parents that love them than a war zone in the house. And then we run tests on... Don't say the dad's the alcoholic that comes home. We've run tests on the mom and found out 
that the central nervous system and the trauma that she's going through is the same trauma. And God bless our troops. I'm American today. And I love you guys. Thank you for your service. But the trauma is the same. The part of the brain lights up. Both are going to know when it's going to be the last day. Both walk in on eggshells every day. And both doesn't know when it's going to kick off minute by minute. You know? So when we take it all into consideration, then it becomes a family illness and a family recovery. Are you at liberty, Rob, to share your your most favourite recovery story of, of people that you've, or someone that you've worked with? I can I can share a couple that I've been I've been told I can share, and um, the the easiest one to share was, and it's I mean I've worked with as you know you know these actors and footballers, the highest of the high A listers, but this one's a nice one because when I came over to this country 15, 16 years ago, uh, my first patient was Eddie Van Halen. And they call my people, and uh, I was going to go to um, the airport, the smaller airport, Love Field, in Dallas, to pick him up uh, as, a, as he, he flied normal flying, and uh, pick him up and helicopter in to the ranch. And I'm stood in, in the waiting place waiting for him. And I don't know who he is. I have no idea who he is. I mean, he's supposed to be in a band called Van Halen, but back then nobody heard of Van Halen in England. And he walked up to me and he says, Dr. Rob, and I said, yeah. And he said, it's Eddie. And I went, oh, nice. And he stood there and looked at me and said, shouldn't this be the other way around that you recognize me? And I said, that's awesome, man. It's so funny. But I don't give a fuck who you are. Let's go. So we went home. And he's, he's, in, that, he's in the ranch. And, and, you know, he's getting well. He's getting excited. And his record company calls him in the ranch. And, you know, we, we, we're just having a great old time. And then he picks a guitar. We have a music room for music therapy. And he starts playing. I had to go back to the wife and say, who the hell is this guy? And he she played some tracks that, he, that he'd done on and he played the band and I was just in awe because I'm a guitar player and I'm, I can play any instrument. And uh, it was we just had a loving relationship, man. And another guy came to us, we picked him up from LA jail uh, and he was in handcuffs in front of the judge and, and his, his, uh, his attorneys and his agents called. So we go down there with a couple of bodyguards, you know, me and my assistant and we rolls into town and in the courtroom and, a room off, and the, the, the guy said, look, the, good, the judge is going to put heavy stuff on you. Dr. Rob, it's up to you whether you want to take this guy. And I looked at this guy, and he just looked down, and he was broken, man. I mean, he was really broken. He's a has-been actor that will never be anybody ever again because of stuff he's done. And he played the bad boy for a bit, and people loved it. And then they got sick of it. You know, they got sick of all the stuff. And we went into court, and the judge, Casper, looked at me and said, I will release this guy into your uh, care. But I'm telling you now, Dr. Kelly, if he goes missing because he was good at that, and you'll be back in my courthouse again, are we clear? And I said, yeah, we're very clear. We're not taking it. And they hustled me out, and uh, we had a team meeting, and they, they said, please, please, please take him. We don't care how much it costs. Please take him. I said, it's not about the money. Can he recover? So I eventually went back in, and I said, judge, we'll take him. And they took the handcuffs on him, and my bodyguard put the handcuffs on him, our handcuffs, and we brought him back. And we worked on him every single day. And we convinced him that he's going to be the highest paid actor in the world ever, ever. And he was so mindset into that. He stayed for the 90 days. And two weeks before he was going to be released, we get a huge envelope of private delivery. So the, the door, the gate bell goes, my driver goes down, texts the envelope, passed it to me, and it's got his name on it. And I passed it to him. And he opened it up. And, and there was... Uh, there was a script for one of the highest grossing movies in the world, in the world. And we took him back and he signed contracts and the rest is history. Obviously, I can't mention any names, 
but he was a fitness guy, you know, a real Iron Man. You know, a big guy that could uh, that could train really well. In fact, we used to call him the Iron Man because he was so good. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that were great stories. Tony, you know? <laughs> Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. <who> that is. <laughs> Tony Stark contrast in the the man he was. I, I had no idea, by the way. This wasn't a loaded question. I'm really grateful you shared those. I got I got tingles down my spine hearing you say that. The the impact of healing and recovery, like you know, it doesn't these $150 an hour staff should be getting 10 times that, if not more. It's priceless. It's like it's priceless what that the impact that that, that has, has had on had on on fans of Iron Man, you know, like like it's just it's an inspiring story, and I, even I look up to him at times with, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly. But you should be really proud, Rob. For, for the person out there that's just resonating, vibrating hard with this, how do people find you? Well, you can jump onto any search engine in the world, Doctor Rob Kelly. I spell my name two B's. R-O-B-B, K-E-L-L-Y is the website. And it's also the search engine. Uh, there's the Daddy Daddy Please Stop Drinking book on there. You can buy it on the website. It's $9. If you don't like the book, I'll refund you money because every dime from that book goes out to communities, one-parent families who are fighting for the children back, the addicts that nobody gives a chance and they want court costs to get to see the children once a week in the UK and the US of A, every single dime, not the profits, after everybody's taken their piece and 10 cents of that nine, nine, $9 goes to, no, I've never seen a penny off that, nor will I ever see a penny off that. So that's why I, I, I say it, that the reason only, I'm not, I'm not pushing the book. I can say if you don't like it, we'll refund your money. Uh, and uh, yeah, just jump on, email me, text me. And I'll tell you what, guys, because you know if you're sat at home and you're, you're thinking you'll never amount to anything, if you're, if you're feeling suicidal, if you're feeling as if you never going to do anything with your life and, and you're just not worth it. I want to apologize to somebody's put that there. We are born with million dollar minds. Stop fucking being convinced you have a 10 cent mind. So here's the deal. If you're in that place on the floor at home with nowhere to go, nowhere to, you call me direct. I don't want you to call my assistant. I don't want you to call the front office. I don't want you to call my wife. I want you to call me on my cell phone. 214-600-0210. It comes direct to me. Always text first because I'm a busy man. I will give you a five-minute pep talk that will change your life. And do you know if it doesn't? Because I'm all about guarantees and refunds. I'm going to send you $100 just to calling me and saying thank you. It's not happening yet. You never know, it might happen. I'll always be in the trenches. I'm always going to be there with the guys that are struggling. You see the guys that I'm mixed with, Sebs that I'm mixed with, God bless them. They've got their own world. My world, in the trenches every fucking day, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Rob Kelly. Seven days a week and 24 hours Yup, I got the business saying this boy sure is up to something Why don't you come and listen, just don't hit the power button They say I'm crazy when I say I got the superpowers It's Laban Ditchburn and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast The reason for this message was this If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel Or you're seriously thinking about starting something up In order to get your message out into the world I want to make something available to you Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks 
that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.